What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to Patreon.com slash BP Show. Patreon.com slash BP Show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. He finally said it. He finally said that the KKK is uh, not a bunch of good guys. Yeah, it only took him 72 hours to get there. Uh, what do you say, folks? Great to see you today on a Tuesday. Tuesday, August 15. A week from today, we'll be talking about history. The history of the great eclipse of 2017. It'll be the day after. Uh, here we are just five days ahead. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us here on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. A very sleepy town with the president, the vice president, the House, and the Senate all out of, uh, out of town. And uh, with them, most of the lobbyists and the hangers-on, you know, and... Um, uh, friends of the f- and family just take off as well, so it's uh, it's a pretty quiet place. <clears throat> I was out for lunch yesterday downtown Washington, um, a very popular restaurant. I won't, uh, I wouldn't name it. Uh, um, sometimes called the Palm. I was gonna say, yeah. Normally, <laughs> you know, you're lucky if you can get into the Palm. Man, you could have had any seat in the house yesterday. I, look, I think it's nice that every time you go to the Palm, you sit directly under your photo, and we'll, well accept that, nothing less. That, yeah, that, you know, there's got to be <laughs> uh, a good reason for going there, right? Yeah, exactly. Actually, food's not bad, <laughs> uh, and the martinis are great. Uh, not at lunchtime. Just want you to know. No, well, this is DC. Some, of course, sometimes, of course, you have a martini on stressful days. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. one's going to give you grief. Look, there's a lot of stuff going on today. you got to take and, care of yourself. And yesterday was a stressful day. Yeah. Yeah. How about it? What do you say? And then, anyhow, we got lots and lots to talk about. Yes, Donald Trump finally reading from the teleprompter. Yes. Speaking not from his heart, speaking from um, not even from his brain because he doesn't have one. Speaking from notes that somebody had written out for him, he did finally condemn the KKK, and uh, white supremacist organizations. Meanwhile, three, now three CEOs have resigned from the President's Manufacturing Council because they said they could not stand with somebody who was so slow uh, to condemn uh, bigotry and hatred uh, and who has encouraged so much of it as president. The Republicans are, it looks like, um, re- recognizing the big mistake 
that Donald Trump made in pulling out of the climate change agreement. And in the middle of all of this Charlottesville mess, Donald Trump's poll numbers are at an all-time low. Just when you think they couldn't get any lower, here they are. We'll bring you up to date on all of that, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to space. SpaceX yesterday had a big launch, a successful launch. They launched their Dragon rocket up to the International Space Station. It's, or it's going to be there tomorrow. It's, yeah. when it's going to yeah. link up with it. But the, the launch was successful. And then the launching apparatus, phase one of the rocket, successfully landed back down. So they're doing a great job here. But... The, the big story is SpaceX Dragon is going to the International Space Station. Like I said, it's going to link up with it tomorrow around noon. And they're bringing supplies and also lots and lots of ice cream. Really? Yeah, they yeah. said that the crew is aware there are some frozen t- treats on this particular mission. So I wouldn't be surprised if they work extra long on the day to try and open the hatch to enjoy some ice cream. So uh, I, I they didn't specify if this was astronaut ice cream or actual ice cream. You know, the astronaut ice cream, first of all, is terrible. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, can't, I don't know if they do actual ice cream up in space. Well, what, what I saw, are they taking any eclipse classes? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. You know? Did yeah. you get your new ones, by the way? You, you got, no, you, you're no. okay. Yours are okay. I think I'm okay. You I got the okay. from Amazon. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's... It's pretty cool what SpaceX is doing and the fact that they're able to great. bring the rockets back down. It was an eight minutes since they launched and then the other one, the, the rocket came back. And I think I might buy my tickets for the next one. All right, yeah, go for it. They're, selling, the, they're selling tickets. Yeah. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, he had to think about it for three days, but finally Donald Trump said, Yeah, I guess I can agree with that. That um, the KKK, um, yeah, they're pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't like them. Yeah. And white supremacist uh, and racism, yeah, that's pretty bad stuff. Now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Folks, have you heard about 72 this? hours it took him to come to that conclusion, and he read it yesterday from the teleprompter, word for word. He couldn't say he couldn't speak from the heart because it is not in his heart. Hello, everybody. Tuesday, August 15. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Yes, that is our nation's capital. We are right here on Capitol Hill, our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building. With all the news of the day for you, the top stories that we are following, uh, still reverberations out of Charlottesville and plans for more protests in other cities coming up. It looks like Steve Bannon may, in fact, be on his way out of the White House. Of forces are gathering. The signs are not good for him, but they're good for the rest of us who don't like his brand of ugly politics. Merck, uh, the CEO of Merck, was the first. He has since been joined by the CEO of Under Armour and the CEO of Intel, all three of them resigning yesterday from President Trump's Manufacturing Council because they disagree with his 
response to uh, what happened in Charlottesville and uh, Donald Trump's poll numbers approval rating at an all-time low. Those are the big stories we'll be covering today as we boom out to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV and out in the Chicago area. So much fun to be with you on the progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. From the Daily Beast, Aswin Subsang joins us here as our first guest today. Danielle Paquette from the Washington Post will be along as well to take a look at... Um, is Donald Trump really right to brag about all the economic success being due to the six months of his presidency? Did he have anything to do with it at all? And then finally, Amy Harder from Axios with a big story out today on why Republicans now think they made a big mistake in opposing any action on climate change and pulling out of the Paris Accords. Yep, let's start with Charlottesville yesterday. It was uh, Donald Trump himself again who, uh, in the diplomatic room downstairs at the White House, reading entirely from the teleprompter, said what people have uh, been waiting to hear since last Saturday, waiting to hear from the White House, not from Ivanka, Ivanka Trump, um, not from anybody else, to hear from the president himself finally yesterday. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. Yes, there it's a good statement, he by the way. is. By the way, it's a good, good statement. statement. That would have been great to have heard last Saturday. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because an ad lib, or a, I'll put it this way, no, a carefully written, read from the teleprompter statement, does not carry the force of his ad lib remarks. Now, he tries, he's still trying to pretend that he said the same thing last Saturday. In fact, right after he said that statement we just heard, uh, he follows up. As I said on Saturday, Mm -hmm. we condemn in the strongest possible terms This egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence, it has no place in America. Uh, The problem is that's not what he said on Saturday. (laughs) We know what he said on Saturday. He added that very, very um, uh, outrageous kind of condition. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. There it is. On many sides. Yeah, that's what he said on Saturday. That's not what he said yesterday. Uh, as Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi said, and I thought she got it just right, yesterday President Trump came to a fork in the road and he took it. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 He condemned the KKK, but at the same time he's saying, yeah, but, but, yeah. You see, guys? And the message he sends out, in fact, there have been several stories. As opposed to being angry at Donald Trump, the white supremacists are really very happy with Donald Trump, the way he handled this, because they claim that the three-day delay in his response legitimizes them and makes them part of the um, viable, legitimate, credible American political scene the fact that it took so long. 
So they're getting the rocks off on the fact that this president didn't come out and condemn them right away. Uh, so that impact, you know, that, that, that uh, Donald Trump's holding back, and again, we talked about this yesterday. Why did he hold back? Because this isn't the first time. I mean, why should be, why, I guess the real question is, why should we be surprised, right? This is Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump who really made his mark on the national political scene, not on the entertainment scene, which was The Apprentice, on the political scene for five years by leading the birther movement, questioning the legitimacy of the first African-American president of the United States. So, of course, this isn't the first time he has given the racist, you know, uh, a big high five. No, I mean, look. And, when, and when, taken sides with them. When he launched for president, his very first speech, that's where he infamously <laughs> said about Mexican immigrants, I assume some of them are good people, but they're sending us their murderers and their rapists. And I assume some of them are yeah, good people. Right. Which is a, which is which is something that white supremacy groups and national white nationalists have been saying for a long long time. Mexicans are coming here. They're only coming here because they're rapists and murderers. They want to kill and rape Americans and take their jobs. This is the same man. That's like part of their platform. Total. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the same man who attacked this judge in San Diego who was assigned to the uh, Trump University case because he said he was from Mexican descent, therefore he could not reach a fair decision. Uh, This is the same man who attacked a gold star family who happened to be Muslim uh, because his parents uh, ended up giving a speech at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, And so this is, of course, a man, uh, this is the same man, I might add, who brings a white supremacist, Steve Bannon, and this other guy, Sebastian Gorka, who's just as bad. Who who, who is like a step away from a literal Nazi. Right, right. Uh, He belongs to Nazi groups. He does, right. I'm not exaggerating. And has spoken to them. Yeah. uh, And is listed on their websites. And these two people are in the White House right alongside of Donald Trump. So no surprise that it would take Donald Trump so long to come around to say, that the KKK and white supremacists are evil. He didn't say it at first because, again, he knows. Uh, this is also the guy, I should have added, who failed to condemn David Duke and, and, and uh, failed to reject David Duke's endorsement. So he didn't, he didn't say anything on Saturday, because, as we mentioned yesterday, because these are his people. Yeah, he is, he has left. He is them. They are his base. He would not be there without them. And there's no way he was going to undercut them. And by waiting 72 hours, he has not undercut them. He has legitimized them. You look at all the articles today, and they're talking about this was a big win-win for them in Charlottesville. They're going to have more. They're going to come out of hiding, if you will. They're going to have more protests in more cities around the country. Everywhere there's a Confederate monument, and the Southern Poverty Law Center identified 1,503 yeah. that are still standing, and they say they're going to rally about every one of these, and they believe that they've got a Donald Trump at their back. Here's here's everything you need to know about Donald Trump's statements, because I think his statement that he gave yesterday was calculated for sure. Uh, it was very, very late, but the meat of what he said was was. Like, there were good comments, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that's not the point. That's completely beside the point. It's right. really not that hard to yeah. say that Nazis and white supremacists are bad. But here's everything you need to know about how Donald Trump views this situation. He made those comments yesterday, 
And people said, okay, well, you should have made those three days ago. That's that's a pretty low bar to get over. So he took to Twitter, where else? And he said, made additional remarks on Charlottesville and realized once again that the fake news media will never be satisfied. Truly bad people. Now, it took him 90 minutes yeah. to go on Twitter and call the fake news media truly bad people. And right. it took him three days to get around to doing that for white supremacists. And it just goes to show you, this is all a game. Right. This is all a game. He but, doesn't uh, care about making an actual statement. He doesn't care about stopping the violence. He doesn't care about white nationalists continuing to take a stand here. All he cares about is that people line up and tell him how great and wonderful he is, and he screwed up. Right. He screwed up, and then they the media said he screwed up, and that he should have been there earlier. And to him, it's all a big game. Oh, look yeah, at what they're doing but, to me now. Yeah, but- you missed a beat. You missed a beat because something happened in the meantime. <laughs> and that is uh, that Mr. Ken Frazier, who is the head <laughs> of uh, Merck, uh, made an announcement right about the time that Donald Trump made his statement that he was stepping down, resigning from the president's council, manufacturing council. And within 54 <laughs> minutes, less than an hour, Donald Trump had tweeted out attacking Ken <laughs> Frazier, quote, now that Ken Frazier of Merck Pharma has resigned from President's Manufacturing Council, he will have more time to, all caps, lower rip-off drug prices. 54 minutes it took him to get that attack out at Ken Frazier. 72 hours to get a tweet out. By the way, I don't think he's ever tweeted that the KKK is wrong. Has he? Did he follow up? Twitter On Twitter, no. On Twitter, no. On Twitter, no. No. And we know this is the real Donald Trump. Yeah, right. Not right. what he reads at the White House. This is the real Donald you Trump. You know, it's funny. I, but, I wasn't familiar with Ken, Kenneth Fraser. I, w I went yeah. and looked it up. He's the CEO of Merck. He also happens to be an African-American. Exactly. Donald Trump. He, I, I'm sure when he heard that uh, Ken Fraser, by the way, at, the, at their first meeting of the Manufacturing Council, uh, Donald Trump, he sat alongside of Donald Trump, Mr. Fraser. And Donald Trump praised him as one of the truly great, great, great business leaders of this country. Uh, but I think he remembered that he was black. And when he saw his name that he resigned from the council, boy, oh, yeah. That guy? Right. Yeah. You know why? He went right after him. Yeah. Um, but a little bit later in the day, uh, Donald Trump went after Merck again. I mean, Ken Frazier again saying, Merck Pharma is a leader in higher and higher drug prices while at the same time taking jobs out of the U.S., bring jobs back, and lower prices. Uh, well, Ken Frazier got a little company later in the day. Um, the head of Under Armour, who is Ken Plank, and the head of Intel, don't ask me to pronounce his last name, Brian Krasnick or something like that. At any rate, the two of them, also members of the President's Manufacturing Council, resigned, uh, saying they could not uh, be part of anything uh, to do with the President who hesitated to condemn hatred and bigotry when he saw it, not when somebody wrote some remarks for him 72 hours later. You know what? Good for these three leaders. I might remember, might remind you, rather, then back when uh, President Obama, a uh, president, I keep saying that? I, um, There's so I'm much thinking. alike. President Trump <laughs> pulled out of the Paris Accords 
Elon Musk of Tesla and Bob Iger of Disney both resigned from the president's business council because they disagreed with what he did on Paris. So this whole idea that we elected a businessman and he's going to run the country like a business and he brought all these CEOs in. Well, it's phony for a couple of reasons. Number one is phony because we did not elect a businessman. We elect a showman. Yeah. We elected a showman, right? We didn't, but anyhow, the Electoral College did. They elected a clown. They elected a TV producer, right? They elected a self-promoter. He is not a businessman, um, number one. And number two, these business leaders are dropping like flies, right? One by one by one, they're saying, uh-uh. They went to their first meeting, and then they're saying, we ain't going back. We don't want anything to do with this guy, which speaks volumes about his brand of leadership. And I might add there, as a proud union member, and you know our show is 100% sponsored by labor unions, um, that uh, Richard Trumka, who is the head of the AFL, AFL-CIO, <laughs> is also a member of the President's Manufacturing Council. And I want to ask Mr. Trumka right here and now, why haven't you resigned, Rich? Get the hell out of there. He said yesterday he's considering resigning. No, no, no. Don't consider it. Don't be like a Donald Trump. Don't wait 72 hours. Get the hell out of there. What are you thinking? Disassociate yourself from this guy because he's going to screw every one of your union members uh, around the country. He's already trying to do it. He's already trying to make this a right-to-work nation. Uh, He will undercut everything that uh, working families stand for, um, and there's no way that Richard Trump ought to be on that manufacturing council. I I have to get this in. This is just so good. Uh Uh-oh. This just happened on Twitter. Uh oh. So Trump, uh, we're gonna do this story later on. So Trump did he just tweet again? Well, hey, hear me out, because he tweeted about he retweeted a Fox News tweet saying uh, that he was considering pardoning Sheriff oh. Joe Arpaio. Oh, right. Which we're gonna talk about. We're gonna, I'm just gonna mention, yeah. But yeah. Sheriff Joe Arpaio, Donald Trump is seriously considering pardoning him. So but he told, this is not a rumor. Donald Trump told Fox yeah. News. He is seriously considering. So Fox News tweeted about it, and Donald Trump retweeted it this morning. So a man by the name of Mike Holden replied to Trump and said, he's a fascist, so not unusual. So Donald Trump retweeted that. A couple of my friends. My <laughs> friends. Which, like... The only possible answer as to why he would retweet someone right. calling him a fascist is that he doesn't understand what the word fascist means. Yeah, he thinks it probably true. means like fantastic. Yeah. Or what he's fantastic, so not unusual. So he retweeted someone calling him a fascist. Calling Arpaio a fascist. Calling Trump a fascist. Oh no, call someone Trump. called Trump a fascist and he retweeted it and he probably he doesn't know what fascist means. So he just retweeted. He has unretweeted it. He has deleted the retweet in a period oh, of about oh. seven minutes. But I'm telling you, the dumbest time to be alive. You know, we are living in the dumbest time ever. Let me tell you, he's got the toughest job in the world, John Kelly. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't know, you know what, what fascist means. You know what they're going to have to. That's do my takeaway. That what they're going to have to do here. They're going to have to get a <laughs> um, one of those little rollaway beds. Right? For John Kelly. 
in the president's bedroom. Yeah. Right. And he's uh, not, gonna get like little notifications every time Twitter goes off. Hopefully not in the same bed, but in the little well, rollaway bed. And then, then uh, uh, Donnie, every time he wants to tweet, first of all, he rolls over and he shows it to Kelly. Is this <laughs> is this okay? Can I push send? Uh, <laughs> God. God. At any rate. Um, but, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take it off, but like no, but, we yeah. have a president who does who who just retweeted someone calling him a fascist. Yeah, and and by the uh, way, you got, you, you got to say also, and and we're going to be talking with Aswin Subsang from the Daily Beast more about this, but you know the, this this bunch of skin skinheads and neo Nazis down in Charlottesville, there's so much. First, they were for real, right? If you look at their Daily Stormer set uh, website, uh, and we the the guys from. Think Progress, who were down there, yeah. t- telling telling us about what they've got on the website, what they stand for, the fact that so many of them were openly carrying major, major, major weapons of war, major assault, big assault rifles, uh, some of them handguns as well. They had these shields, these big shields that had the X on them, which is the symbol for Southern white power, yeah, right? White power. And then, capping it off. The tiki torches that they bought from Home Depot, <laughs> right? Well, they didn't want any mosquitoes to get them. I think. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. if you're going to be protesting, uh, you know, people of another color and trying to convince minorities that they are subhumans, really, folks, get the nice citronella candles. Yeah, right. Because you'll keep all the bugs off. I think of some you. people saw them and thought it was a pool party. You know, yeah, they were going to a pool party or something. It was just yeah, yeah, insane. Everyone knows that mosquitoes and, are racists, and they were chanting. Heil Trump. Heil Trump. I mean, they knew they knew who they were. They knew what they were up for. Their message was loud and uh, clear. Uh, we mentioned Steve Bannon. Yeah, the reports are that Steve Bannon may, in fact... And by the way, uh, these there's a note of caution here. These rumors have been around since January, right? That Steve Bannon was not going to last. First, he and Reince Priebus were in a battle. Then they got sort of together. Then he and Jared Kushner were in a battle. They got kind of got together. But now, apparently, uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly doesn't want anything to do with Bannon. And Kelly has supported H.R. McMaster, the national security. This is all palace intrigue, I know. But it is important because of yeah. what Bannon stands for. He is the white nationalist. He is a white supremacist in the White House. And so... He had a couple of people that he planted on the National Security Council and on the NS, uh, National Security staff. Uh, General McMaster has fired them, um, and um, John Kelly has totally supported. In fact, Reince Priebus wouldn't do that. Kelly uh, McMaster was unable to fire them under Reince Priebus. He went to, went to Kelly and said, I've got to, rid of these guys. I've got to get rid of these guys. These are Bannon's people, not my people. They're bad, bad apples. And John Kelly says, you're in charge. You fire whoever you want. Um, so there are signs. Bannon was not up at Bedminster, New Jersey over the last weekend. Uh, Bannon was the one, apparently, on the phone, reportedly, who told Trump not to condemn the KKK in his statement on Saturday. Um we know again about these. Uh, this John Kelly, uh, he's kind of had it up to here with Steve Bannon. Uh, so Major Garrett last uh, Major Garrett last night yep. from um, from CBS, our friend from CBS, who's been with us so many times on the program, he he reported that uh, it looks like end of, by the end of the week, Bannon's going to be out. And for the guy who was always right at Donald Trump's side, 
Donald Trump hasn't even seen him or talked to him uh, by phone once. Hasn't seen him, hasn't had him at any meeting or anything for over a week. So reading the tea leaves, maybe. Um, Steve Bannon, out. You know, I mean, it really, it, it really cannot be overstated. And I know when we talk to Swen, he'll he's got some yeah, insight yeah. on this uh, as well. But like, Donald Trump is not a guy who is an ideologue, right? We talked about this a lot during the campaign. He's not a guy. I, I really don't think he's a guy who's plugged in to the white nationalist movement. I don't think. No. I don't think he believes in anything. No, I don't either. Good or bad. No, I, I, no, I agree. I, I agree. No. I, I believe he believes in himself. He believes in himself and how he can. Yeah. Boost his image and, and line his pocket. That's true. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but Steve Bannon is a calculating white nationalist, and he's a smart, 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 mm-hmm. very talented communicator uh, and and knows exactly what he's doing. And if he has a point of view here and he has and he wants to push this agenda forward, he's got the president's ear and he can convince the president to go just about anywhere he wants. And, and when we saw in the like in the hours that Charlottesville was was unraveling and unfolding, uh, the story was aides were pushing Trump to come out and say something about the white supremacists right, and the white right. nationalists. And Bannon was the one saying, no, this is your base. You you alienate them and you've got a real problem. And Trump listened to him. Right. So like. As bad as Trump is, and let's not get it twisted, he is a horrible, horrible leader. Uh, I think a lot of the mobilized and organized uh, white nationalist and hate speech that we're seeing come out of the White House is purely coming from Steve Bannon and and the people that he brought into the White House, like Stephen Miller and yeah. goons uh, like that. Right. And the only, apparently, the only hesitation about firing Bannon is what he might be able to do to Donald Trump when he's out of the White House. Uh, and it gets back to um, paraphrasing LBJ, uh, who said something about, for somebody like that, it's better to have him inside the White House pissing out than outside the White House pissing in. There you right. go. There is, a, there, there is that. And uh, uh, how has uh, Donald Trump's handling of the Charlottesville situation played nationwide? Uh, not well for him. The Gallup poll yesterday shows Donald Trump has now sunk to the lowest level yet, in popularity, in approval. His approval rating now stands at 34%, the lowest of his presidency. You know, remember at 38, he said, this is pretty good, right? No, 34 now. Um, Disapproval, 61%. Now, this is interesting. Um, Talking Points Memo did a little check about when other presidents reached the 61% disapproval. 61% disapprove of the job he's doing as president. Jimmy Carter, how many days did it take him to get there? He never got there. <laughs> like Jimmy never. Carter, we can point to as like one of the most unpopular presidents of our lifetime. Never. He never got there. Ronald Reagan, never. George H.W. Bush, never. Bill Clinton, never. Man. Barack Obama, never. God. W, on day 1,932. Oh, my God. Donald Trump, 207. Whew. Day 207. So there's something Donald Trump did. No other president's done. <laughs> yeah, he got there faster. He got to 61 faster than anybody else.
<laughs> 61 That's a hell of an accomplishment. All right. Yep. Who says we're not getting things done? Jeez. Indeed. All right. Aswin Sub saying, yeah, we'll... Yeah, I got that right. Okay, yeah, you know. from the Daily Beast. Um, he's been all over this White House story of uh, Steve Bannon and uh, the backstory of the response to Charlottesville. He'll tell us all about it. Joining us next right here on the Bill Press Show. It's really a horrible thing to see Nazis and the KKK out in public. Um, you know, I and I publicly made several comments saying that I thought the the blame for the normalization of this sort of these sort of elements in our country went right to the doorstep of the White House. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? Here we are on a Tuesday, August 15. Uh, Hello, friends and neighbors. Good to have you with us. We're here in Washington, D.C. We're about the only ones in town. Oh, no, that's right. Aswin Subsang is here, too, from the Daily Beast political report. Hello, Aswin. Nice to see you. How's it going, guys? Always a pleasure. And I just realized... I've been doing your show for, I think, over half a decade now. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. It, time flies. Man. No. Yeah, uh, I've been at the Daily Beast, my current job, for three, three and a half years. And mm-hmm. I started doing this show when I was a fellow, started as a fellow at Mother yeah. Jones. At Mother Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was at least two years before. This. So, yeah, at five or six years I've no been kidding. doing your show. Well, can we send Rachel out for a bottle of champagne? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, come I on. Mean, and district donuts. I mean, we got to celebrate here. Champagne and district donuts. Yeah, that two tastes that go wonderful. You'd together. be surprised how many times. No, no, I, I'm being one hundred percent serious. <laughs> well, uh, well, congratulations. Anyhow. That's cool, Thank man. You. We should be I, celebrating. You know, that he hasn't deserted us. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm just surprised you stuck around this long. We have a good time. We have a good time. <laughs> uh, we're brought to you today, by the way, by the Labor's International Union of North America. I'll have to ask President Terry O'Sullivan to send over a bottle of champagne. Yeah. Uh, the Labor is doing a great labor. Men and women of the Labor's Union doing a great job building a better America. That's their website, Liuna Builds America, L I U N A Builds America.org. Uh, check it out. Thank them for their support of the program. So, as when Saturday, last Saturday, after um, the carnage, to use his word, uh, in Charlottesville, we know that Donald Trump said uh, we, we condemn hatred from many sides. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, he said something a little different. Uh, we condemned the hatred and mentioned the KKK and white supremacists and racism and boom, boom, boom. Why why did it take him so long? Well, What's the story? It got to a point where obviously the political and also uh, <laughs> from at least a couple or a handful of advisors, internal pressure uh, became too strong, too bipartisan too intense um, for the president to not come out and say something as simple as Nazis are bad. Yeah. Like, it it took two days of basically a political and media firestorm, cross-partisan firestorm, uh, to get the president to do what he obviously should have done on Saturday afternoon. Um, Who told him not to? Or was that the inner Donald Trump? Well, uh, there's... Uh, from my reporting on Saturday, uh, one thing that I was able to confirm 
was that the president, when he was talking to aides and advisors, as the speech on Saturday, the initial speech was being written, the thing that he himself said that he definitely uh, wanted to emphasize and make sure was in the speech was a line crafted about a restoration of law and order and the rule of law, which he then repeated on Twitter later that day and then repeated in his follow-up speech on Monday afternoon or uh, or on Monday when he was trying to clean up uh, when he was poorly uh, and shambolically trying to clean up this mess he created for himself. That's where his head's at, and that's what his priority is. Law and order, restoration of rule and law. It's what he's been saying since the campaign. It, it echoes shades of uh, Nixon, of course, as people who can appreciate right. um, these buzzwords and buzz terms. So the initial speech, per people advising him, including, of course, Chief Strategist, Chief Strategist Steve Bannon, um, were the the initial speech was never going to be a strong denunciation of specifically the neo-Nazi groups or white nationalists and white supremacists, and that doesn't just have to do with the people advising the president. That has to do with the president himself, and what his priorities are, and how he does not like to back down in the face of people like those in the media, critics, liberals, what have you, telling him to do what's right. Well, and he he. He doesn't think he owes people anything in terms of a denunciation of neo-Nazi groups because in his mind, why would he? Well, uh, when you go back to his campaign rallies, there was one famous time when a guy who was wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt, right, was yeah. beat up by some of his supporters. Um, and uh, that was, I think, one of the times when he said he wished he were out there, too, so he could punch him in the face or... Right, I'll pay the legal fees. I'll pay the legal fees there, if you there beat were him plenty, up. It wasn't just that. There were plenty of times during the campaign where a really um, um, uh, enthusiastic, buoyant <laughs> Donald Trump would encourage violence yeah. on the campaign trail. It was explicit. There, there, it was, there were no uh, dog whistles in that respect. It was just out there nakedly, nationalistically violent. Um, or uh, calling for violence, I should say. And, of course, throughout the campaign, there were m many, many times where he would hesitate or be very, very slow, conspicuously slow, to distance himself from these fascist or um, white supremacist individuals. And to be completely fair about it, do I think Donald Trump is a white nationalist at heart? No. White nationalist is a very specific, extreme, far-right ideology going around in certain corners, mostly fringish corners in the United States and elsewhere right now. Having said that, um, it is not, as president of the United States and was not as candidate for Donald J. Trump, to be rough on these people. And you know what? Saying neo-Nazis are bad is literally the biggest gimme in the history of American yeah. politics. Uh, yeah. But it's and, not hard. Uh, right. Yeah, and right. He, he has a, a self-imposed problem uh, saying such things. Right. And remember- And, and people uh, are right we, to call him out on it. Yeah. Uh, and like as all we day. pointed out earlier, <laughs> Gene Robinson has a good piece in the Washington Post this morning. Uh, uh, why should we be surprised, right? This is ahead of the birth of five years. Right. Denying the le legitimacy of our first African-American president. He, he went done... after the Gold Star family. His first act as president is a Muslim ban. He went after that judge in San Diego saying he could never come up with a fair verdict because he was a 
Mexican descent. Can't do your job because of your I mean, you, ethnic you heritage, the definition of that Has kind anybody of ever taken a look at the diversity of the Trump organization? I think people have. Um, I, I can't think of any of the, um, um, I was just the media talking, analysis I that off the top of whether, my head. Um, um, I, mean, it's, I, I don't want to be quick to condemn, but I don't remember ever reading that it's... Well, it's, uh, won any awards for diversity. It's the thing people say about racism today in America. It's not guys proudly saying they're the KKK right. and walking around in hoods. It's more, dare I say, nuanced than that. And Donald Trump has said and done enough, not just xenophobic, not just bigoted, but openly racist things, like on the record, plain as day, especially during the campaign, that yeah. it's, um, we sh people can, especially in the media, cannot be afraid to use the R word when talking about this man's words and actions. Yeah, like there, there are a lot of things he said that are certainly <laughs> coded, right? To get to your point of, uh, it's not you know, President Obama when he gave that interview and he said racism is not just somebody running around calling you the N word, right? Like that's not what racism is, but. Like the the coded language that Trump and Trump supporters used during the election of we're gonna take our country back. Mm. The black guy in the White House, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or even even if you want to get like really get down to make America great again, what's so wrong with America now? You know, like, what do we want to get back to? We want to get back to that era era where people of color didn't have a say and white men ruled the world. Right, And but again, to your point, it wasn't just coded stuff and dog whistles, of which there were many. Literally saying, and again, just to use one of many examples, a judge can't do his job because he's a Mexican, yeah. is the textbook definition of racist or bigoted. Yeah. Like, you can't do your job because of your ethnic heritage or your race or who you descended from. Um, so th that was the great thing. But the, the, yeah. the, the thing about Donald Trump uh, as a Republican Party figure is his whole political career and ascendancy has been largely defined by saying the loud part quiet and the quiet part <laughs> loud. Because uh, when you talk about quoted words, that stuff has yeah. been a part of the Republican DNA for decades. Donald Trump just, along with doing the coded nonsense, just, just came out and said it. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, one big difference, at least rhetorically. One other, um, uh, I think, danger uh, and very deleterious effect of Donald Trump's waiting 72 hours is it's been pretty widely reported. I want to see if you, you found the same thing, is that these white supremacist groups, they figured that Charlottesville was a win-win for them. And they're not pissed at Trump because he called them out yesterday, mm -hmm. they feel that by waiting 72 hours, he gave them legitimacy. I mean, for 72 hours, basically, he was, by his silence, saying these are the legitimate protests that these people were, were uh, enacting or were, were carrying out in, in Charlottesville. So they feel emboldened and strengthened by this. You know, they're going to go off and have more rallies, more protests. And When you come out the day after, as you said, in the president's words, racist terror and coinage at a white nationalist gathering in Charlottesville, Virginia, and you go out of your way to deliver the all lives matter version of presidential statements and denunciations, yeah. 
people are going to look at that and, and hear that and <clears throat> at their most generous tell you that was something completely, utterly, pathetically tone deaf. And, and, and that's, that's the most generous way you can phrase it. Right. And um, you know what? It wasn't a concern for this president. It wasn't a concern for many corners of the upper echelons of this White House until uh, whatever, how many hours it was, 48 hours of relentless, horrible media coverage and backlash. Like oh. it, it's like the idea that uh, Fox News, as they just were this morning, as they were yesterday, praising this president for coming out and condemning these uh, ethno-nationalist fascistic hate groups um, and just completely uh, brushing under the rug the idea that there's no that Trump would not have done this unless he was absolutely forced to and had to and had to buckle to the ridiculous cavalcade of political pressure is insane what do you what do you read about the, uh, into the fact that I mean I was uh, a little surprised by the cascade of conservative Republican senators Aaron Hatch who seldom speaks out on these issues but Aaron Hatch Marco Rubio Ben Sass Cory Gardner from from Colorado, even Ted Cruz. But again, even came, the liberal Ted Cruz, <laughs> even the liberal Ted Cruz, all came out and said, "Call evil evil." Well, again, because those people, for all their flaws, are kind of normal people, and it's not hard for a normal people, for a normal person, to come out and say white supremacists yeah, are right. scum. Yeah, like right. that. Again, it's like not we're a through big leap. It's not we're through the right. looking glass here. It doesn't where, show a lot of courage. Right. We're, yeah. we're through yeah. the looking glass here where the standard, the bar you set for a Trump presidency for is, way too many things on policy, on rhetoric, on so actions, low. through low. the damn floor. Yeah, right. A C- couple things on that, right? So on Twitter, Trump yesterday came out and said, well, I made my comments and everyone's still mad at me. What's wrong with you guys? And it's like hardly the point that you finally got up there with, a, you know. Right, proverbial gun at your back to read something off of a teleprompter. But also his kid, Donald Trump Jr., on Twitter yesterday, who, by the way, uh, has a face perfect for slapping. I'm, I'm not a violent person, but boy, oh boy. So he tweets, because um, someone tweeted at him, was this heartfelt enough? And he says, unfortunately, it will never be enough. That's the sad reality of the game today. So again, like... To them, this is all just a big game. Yeah. Right? Like, he doesn't care. What, he why, doesn't care. Why would President Trump come out and uh, um, condemn bloodlusting neo-fascists unless we as the American people and corporate media would go out and give him credit and a pat on the head? That's all he That's wants. That's basically what, That's what he's saying. <laughs> the president was venting about saying. on Twitter. Uh, again, it's incredibly childish. It's so childish. Yeah. By the way, this morning we talked about the earlier tweet where he tweet, he retweeted somebody calling him a fascist. Oh, that was amazing. He <laughs> because I, I honestly don't think he understands what the word fascist. So means. Let, yeah, let's let's tell that story again because yeah. so somebody. Go ahead. So, so, so he tweet, he retweeted a Fox News story about how uh, he's considering pardoning Sheriff Joe Arpaio. So a guy yeah. by the name of Mike Holden. To re, uh, replied to Trump and said, he's a fascist, so not unusual. So Donald J. Trump, the president of the United States of America, retweeted that. Why would he be following this guy in the first place? He, he wasn't. No, he, he, he was he, going through mentions. Yeah, he's not following him. The guy just oh, tweeted oh, at him oh, and saw God. this. What, what? So May I say again? 
Why would the president of the United States be going through yeah. mentions? Yeah, I mean, the guy's got thirty-six million. Bank. The guy's got thirty-six million followers. Well, he does it from time to time. He picks people to. But he was retweet. elected president of the United. Oh, well, and he blocks people on Twitter. And he blocks people on Twitter. So, so uh, on that point, though, one of the other retweets that he did this morning, which he has since deleted or unretweet, however you put that, somebody put an image of the Trump train. Right, a, a, a locomotive that says Trump on the side, hitting someone with a CNN logo superimposed over that person that says nothing can stop the Trump train. So Trump retweeted that. Now, considering we just saw someone get hit by a car in Charlottesville, running into a crowd, a Trump supporter uh, yeah. running into somebody, yeah, um, might not be the best optics to be putting out there. Has he? He has taken... unretweeted that tweet. Why? Where's John Kelly when we need him? Well, John Kelly's not going to save us, guys. I'm sorry. Everybody that thinks that John Kelly is the is the solution. No, the the, yeah, the it's not going to happen. The pundits who were like praising his like military grade, yeah, um, 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 uh, imposing military grade uh, discipline and order on this White House staff um, are the same people who told me Donald J. Trump became president when he said that. Thing about um, one of the uh, troops that died. Was that yeah, he, yes. The um, when he was talking to the war, yeah, 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 in the uh, Capitol. It's it's ridiculous that anybody who knows anything about this presidency, especially people paid to cover and comment on it for a living, would think that anybody, any chief of staff, as as yeah. um, uh, disciplined and commanding a leader as John Kelly may or may not be could come in and actually impose order on this White House because no matter how many people you fire, no matter how many people you uh, demote if you want to or whatever within Trump's inner circle, Donald J. Trump is still president of the United States. And I, I've reported this on this before, like people asking, oh, is John Kelly going to get Donald yeah, going to get right. at real Donald Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump's Twitter account under control. That's not a priority for this chief of staff because he's not stupid. Right and now. he knows that what's he gonna do? Is he gonna is he gonna sleep in the same bed as Donald Trump? And <laughs> that was your solution. That was my solution. Yeah, just to just to keep him from grabbing his phone early in the morning or late right. at night. Right. And also, like the second you do that, whether you're John Kelly or anybody else, he would the president would rebel against you because he hates the idea that he's being shackled. John Kelly's Number one priority right now is to deal with senior staff under the president, right. not to actually mm. try to put a dog collar on the leader of the free world. All right. So in dealing with senior staff yes. at the White House, John Kelly's first priority, um, today is Tuesday. Does Steve Bannon still have a job by Friday? If Steve Bannon were fired or uh, ousted from the White House in the next two hours... I wouldn't be surprised if he hung on for yeah. months and months and months until he's ready to leave. I equally would not be surprised. Either. Really? Yes. Either. Yeah. But he, I mean, certainly he's been in so, hot water before, and this hot this yeah, water is this hot water is less room temperature uh, than perhaps it's been before. Uh, but at the same time. There are hurdles to throwing, to sacking this guy and getting him out of the White House. What? Uh, well, why? Um, they fired Reince Priebus. They fired Sean Spicer. Well, Sean Spicer they fired resigned. Michael Flynn. Uh, yeah, but well, yeah. And and In Michael theory. Flynn, by the way, the uh, as uh, we've reported the Daily Beast before, 
uh, me with my colleagues Lachlan Marquet and Kim Dozier, the president of the United States still wants Michael Flynn back. Right. Like, if it were right. up to him once right. the investigation wrapped. So, wh- wh- why, so um, why not fire Steve well, Bannon? One of the reasons, one of the, one of the major reasons is that there is, um, and over the last couple of days, over the last few days, I've talked to uh, people in the White House, both more pro-Bannon, some uh, more on the anti-Bannon um, side, who all seem to tell me the same thing, that there is a concern um, within the White House in President Trump's inner circle, that if you oust abruptly Steve Bannon from the White House, there's fear of what he could do. There's genuine concern of what he could do from the outside, uh, according to the people I've talked mm-hmm. to, in terms of like if he decides to go buck wild and seek revenge, could he use his considerable influence on pro-Trump and right-wing media he could go back, in this country he could go and different groups Breitbart and, 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 and wage war on yeah. parts of the Trump administration, not right. necessarily the president himself, right. but he could be a much bigger problem on the outside than he is on the inside. Yeah. And he's, con- he's caused earlier. and he's caused considerable problems on the inside, particularly with yeah. his repeated ideological clashing um, with other senior staffers in the administration. Hmm. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, and we've seen this before, as you point out. That's why I don't get too excited about it. But you know, there was a big clash with Reince Priebus, and you know, and then they made up somehow. And then the big clash with Jared Kushner, right? They made up somehow. And then the big clash with McMaster, and you know, who knows? Well, right? I mean, they're never going to make up. Yeah. Um, but but he is, and um, John Kelly does seem to have less tolerance for Steve Bannon's sort of you know, kind of going wild on, on, true, on true. public and, policy. And uh, <clears throat> Chief of Staff Kelly is very much on Team McMaster, but also something important to remember that, and I'm not saying this does not mean that he doesn't move to uh, uh, to throw out Bannon. Having said that, Kelly is not inherently or strictly anti-Bannon. The guys have been uh, pretty friendly with each other and uh, Kelly and Bannon have known each other uh, for years. In hmm. fact, hmm. Um, as I reported uh, a couple of days ago, uh, when Bannon executive produced a movie about Marines fighting in Fallujah and other major battles in the Iraq War, um, Kelly endorsed it and actually hosted screenings Really, really? Uh, for this movie, yeah. recommending oh. it to the troops and the American audience, saying he was, quote unquote, very impressed by it. Uh, and Bannon, according to my sources, helped Kelly uh, land his post at DHS. Uh, strongly huh. recommended yeah. him uh, or or advised that uh, the president end up picking him for uh, the newly anointed chief of staff post Reince Priebus. So, again, I'm not saying that this means Kelly will end up protecting Bannon, right. but it's not like he's coming in and making McMaster chief of staff, where McMaster right. would obviously like have nothing but hatred for the guy. I have a quick comment I want to throw. We don't have a lot of time, but uh, Mark C. wrote it and said, <laughs> curious if you guys can discuss the media's use of the term white nationalist and sort of the more proper word, supremacist. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think I, factors... I've been saying supremacist. Yeah, look, I mean, morning. I... I, I to me, they're Maybe all to me they're all racists. All yeah, right, so I'm yeah, not really sure yeah. what the, uh, the accepted term is, but like nationalist does sound a little cleaner, a little bit nicer. Well, m- maybe. I mean, it depends who you are. I, I don't think it sounds that much cleaner, and it's certainly fair. That's why I try to go out of my way in print and also on air, including with you guys right now, to say both white supremacists and white nationalists, and also white nationalists are white supremacists. Sure, but the reason people in the media and elsewhere have been saying white nationalism 
so often recently is because white supremacy is not um, a specific political ideology in the same way that white nationalism is. White nationalism is a very specific thing where you believe that the United States should be basically ethnically cleansed and be whites only. You could be a white supremacist and not necessarily believe that, but still hate all the black and brown people in the country. People generally refer to Steve Bannon as a white nationalist yeah. rather than a white supremacist because I think for one, one of the reasons, as you point out, is that it sounds cleaner, right? Politically cleaner. But I think he's a white supremacist. Yeah, sure, man. You know, and this phrase... He's a racist. Yeah, he's a racist. <laughs> this, this chant, blood and soil, I mean, that's white supremacy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say Steve Bannon is a little bit more complicated than that. I would stop yeah. short of calling him a white nationalist. He's certainly a hard right nationalist with uh, xenophobic views. Uh, happy six-year anniversary. Or five-year yeah, anniversary. Come yeah. uh, back for five more. Do I get a back again. He's the real show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It took him 72 hours, but he finally said the KKK are not a bunch of nice guys. Okay, Mr. President, that's a long learning curve. Hello, everybody. Yeah, it took him uh, 72 hours and 71 years to come to that conclusion. It's the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Tuesday, August 15th. Thank you so much for joining us. As we boom out to you live from our nation's capital here in our studio on Capitol Hill, With all the news of the day, um, we'll bring to you whether it's happening here in Washington, D.C. Not a lot of news out of Washington these days. Out of Charlottesville, maybe from Trump Tower today, who knows, around the rest of the country, the rest of the globe. We'll tell you what's going on. And you tell us on Twitter what it all means to you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Um, We are... um, uh, you know, a day like today where there's so much going on, we always need help from a few of our friends. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, and she is a reporter from the Washington Post, good friend Daniel Paquette, here in studio with us. To answer that burning question, This all this economic success for the, with the Dow and the Standard, Standard & Poor's, is Donald Trump, does he deserve all the credit? Hey, Danielle, nice to see you. Hey, Bill, how are you doing today? I'm good. All right, hold that thought. We'll get into that. That's what we want to talk to you about. Uh, and again, get your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this Peter's is got the, the big story of the day. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news today is a big day in Alabama, where yes, there is yes. an election to replace <laughs> Jefferson Beauregard Sessions as senator. The big uh, showdown. The primary today. The primary. The primary today. The big showdown is between Judge Roy Moore who you might remember from the uh, culture wars of 
generations past. He was the guy that fought to keep the Ten Commandments in the courtroom in Alabama. He has twice been removed from his duties as Chief Justice. Twice. He twice. 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 Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. He was twice, twice thrown out. Yeah. He is the leading contender, but the Trump pick and the Mitch McConnell pick is Big Luther Strange. He is a very large man. How tall is this guy? He's like 6'9"? Six, 6'8". Six, eight. Six, eight? He's gigantic. Big Luther. Big old Luther. <laughs> Big Luther from Alabama. Uh, so he's the he's the pick for Trump and McConnell, but as like all the polling right now shows... And then there's this congressman, Mo Brooks. Yeah, who, Mo Brooks. Who's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's pretty crazy. And he's also sort of kind of getting left in the dust here. Yeah. It's, it, it appears to be no. a two-man race between Judge Roy Moore and uh, Big Luther. Well, the question is, yeah, could Roy Moore win it outright? He could. But, I, I mean... And, and if he doesn't, is it going to be Mo Brooks or Luther, Big Luther, uh, in the runoff? It's not of... Senator Strange. It's Big Luther. That's it. Let's so just be Luther. clear. Okay. If he wins, there will be no Senator Strange. It's going to be purely... Big Luther. By the way, there's also a GOP primary in Utah for Jason Chaffetz's seat today. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So big day to uh, get out and vote if uh, if if that is your area. Uh, President Trump told Fox News that he is seriously considering on issuing a pardon for Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. He was convicted last month of criminal contempt because a judge. Wow. Wow. ordered him to stop detaining yeah, people right, just because right. he suspected them of right. being undocumented immigrants. So Trump told Fox News he's seriously considering pardoning this guy. And even as early as as, as of this morning, he was retweeting a Fox News tweet saying that uh, he's considering giving him a pardon. So Okay. So I just want to be sure I understand. This is the president who says that he is the law enforcement president, right? Who Something like gives that. Gives speeches saying law, supporting our law enforcement officers and everybody's got to follow the law and the Department of Justice and what the Department of Justice rules are, right? Right? And yeah. then here's a sheriff who has been uh, indicted for resisting Department of Justice rules when it comes yeah. to and he's going to pardon him oh, God. for breaking the federal for breaking federal law. Right? Sheriff David Clark is probably next. Yeah, right. <laughs> All the bad guys. Mm. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go on a Tuesday, August 15. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building, where we're looking at you on uh, joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Out in the greater Chicago area on the progressive voice of Chicago and uh, suburbs the great WCPT, and looking at you nationwide, coast-to-coast coast, on Free Speech TV. Thanks so much for being with us today. Again, Daniel Paquette, reporter at the Washington Post here uh, in studio with us. You've got to admit, Danielle, my 401k has a great big smile on its face because it's been doing very, very well. And yesterday, it was another new high for the... Dow and the S&P, right? Right. Well, the economy is in great shape. So this is the Trump bump? It's so hard to say, Bill. You know, the 
like I said, we're doing well. Investors are happy. Unemployment is at a 16-year low. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And it can't be attributed to what's gone on over a six-month period. It doesn't happen in 207 days either, right? Right, right. So what we're seeing now is the result of policies that were set years ago. Uh, but you can't just give um, <laughs> the previous president all of, president all of the credit. Uh, the, econom- the economy is a complicated thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, you never but, saw Barack Obama running around and saying, you know, like, when things were good, you know, like, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, this is me. And you never saw, I mean, George W. Bush didn't have a whole lot of economic news to really crow about, but, uh, like, no. this isn't really a trend that you see presidents do. Right. We have two very different presidents here. Every time you see some kind of improvement, you have uh, President Trump tweeting about it and essentially taking credit. Yeah. Well, um, so how long have we been now? Uh, in an upswing for economic recovery. I mean, it's been... Well, yeah. Since the recession, the recovery has been slow. Lately, we've yeah, seen but that accelerate. That started but, but going up before President Trump took office. It's been in one direction, right? right? I mean, so we're talking eight years now? Yeah, yeah. Right? And and, and we're just now enjoying the benefits of, of getting people back to work. But, I mean, I remember... During the Obama years, um, not that long ago, but uh, often I, I infinity Washington years right, ago. That's true, but I was critical of the Obama of Obama and the Obama White House because they were not crowing or, and, and about the market hitting a new high. Right, the market many many times. I mean, I saw that number last week. Something hundreds of times under Obama, it hit. The Dow hit a new high, mm. record high, record high, record high, record high. Um, and I was always waiting for him like to take a victory lap, you know, like Ronald Reagan would have done, go around the country and crow about what was happening. He never did, that I recall. I mean, he, he might put out a statement just saying this is good news, but we have a, still a long way to go or something mm. like that, right? Yeah, it wasn't really his style. No, no. And I asked once, I think I asked Gibbs or... Or um, Josh at the end, why? And and the answer was well because they know that they could go out today and claim credit for a great big run up in the market, and the next day, exactly, <laughs> right? And they'd be caught with their pants down, basically, right? Yeah. yeah, it's unpredictable, and any one thing could drive it one way or the other and have it rebound the the next day. So it's it's tough as a president to go out there and say this is all because of me, because you never know what might happen ten minutes from now. <clears throat> but that doesn't stop Donald Trump. Certainly does not. I mean, it's just the opposite with him. Yeah. Right? Every every little uptick is because I did this. You know that. I keep coming back to when he went down to, I think it was Alabama, the Dreamliner plant was... Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah, in North Charleston. Yeah, 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 the, the Boeing, Boeing plant. plant. Then they rolled out that Dreamliner, you know. Then they had just... layoffs five months later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Well, but I, my, my point was, it rolled this, and, and you would have thought that Donald Trump, they had built this entire plane <laughs> from from scratch since he'd been inaugurated like a month before or something like that. Whereas that was a result of years yeah. of planning and decisions made and investments, and that was the final product. He just happened to be there when it had nothing to do with it. I also think it just shows how little some of this stuff matters, like when we think that it matters so much, because you know you look at the, jo- like the job numbers in particular, right? Like 
when they first came in, Sean Spicer was out there trying to make the argument and make the case that, like, oh, the job numbers really don't matter. It's just like a made-up number, right? Like, Barack Obama saw <laughs> positive growth month after month after month after month after month, and they were like, eh, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It's not really a, something that we put a lot of stock into. And then, of course, as soon as the numbers go up or continue to go up under Trump, it's everything to them. And this, and, and, and by the way, if they slow down or if they go down, they'll go right back, and nobody's going to hold them accountable. You know what I mean? They're not going to hold their words against them. They they figured it out. They kind of cracked the code. And by the way, I I want it to continue. You know, yeah, sure. No, Trump of course. Is great afford it or not, I do not want it to crash. Let's make that very very clear. Um, but overall, how how I mean, how, what is the state of the economy? How healthy is the overall American economy? It is, as you point out, healthier than it's been, but it's been improving for eight straight years. Uh, we have people taking jobs whenever they need them. The unemployment rate is something like 4.3%. Yeah, I never remember it that low. Yeah, extremely low. We're hearing about employers having trouble filling positions across the country, especially But overall, like in all sectors, housing, mm-hmm. manufacturing, um, you know, health in, industry. I mean, overall, are we sure we're seeing health? We're seeing improvements across the board. Wages, however, have been creeping along. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's been it's been rough. It's been a, a low a wage slower. growth economy. Yeah, so that's the one thing people are still truly concerned about. Uh, and and yeah, we're doing well. And you will see, as you've said, President Trump out there taking credit for every win. That's just an extension of his campaign style. You know, he's all about winning, winning, winning. So expect to hear these little victories every day, if not multiple times a day. One of those stories, by the way, when we talk about, um, you know, these big achievements that Trump is taking credit for is a story you've written about with Foxconn. Hmm. Trump yeah. is way, yeah. way out there celebrating the this big Foxconn deal in, uh, in Wisconsin, right? Right. So what's the deal? What's <laughs> going on? Uh, well, Wisconsin lawmakers in Wisconsin, particularly Governor Walker, is making this $3 billion bet that... If they give Foxconn this big, big bundle of tax incentives, uh, that that electronics giant from Taiwan, they're going to come in, build this factory the size of seven football fields, and hire up to 13,000 people. Uh, Governor Walker is saying, hey, this is an investment for every dollar uh, we spend. It's $6 returned. And you saw Donald Trump out there at the White House alongside Walker celebrating this as this massive jobs victory. Uh, it's it's very complicated. We could break that open this morning if you'd like. Yeah. Well, Foxconn, first of all, is this, were they uh, Korean? So they're based in Taiwan. Taiwan. Majority Taiwan, of their hundreds of thousands of employees are in China, factories across China. Mm-hmm. They have this interesting history. They have la- labor rights violations in China. They made headlines years ago for employees being so stressed out they jump off the roof, and they even installed safety nets to catch them. Yeah, to to catch employees diving out to their depth. So until this deal rolled along, that is what Foxconn is primarily known for here. They also make iPhones for Apple. They're a supplier to Amazon, to Google. They're one of the largest companies in the world. Are they located at all in the United States? They have a small presence in the United States. They're already in Indiana, for example. Mm-hmm. But this Wisconsin factory would there would be their first major plant on American soil. Uh, and so where are they in the process right now? 
So <laughs> they like to keep things mysterious. Every time I talk to Foxconn, they'll say, we are not going to further comment on this until it is, you know, set in stone. They've reached this tentative agreement with Governor Walker. If the state provides the incentives they seek, again, worth up to $3 billion, uh, Foxconn has agreed to start building a factory somewhere in the southeastern corner of that state. We don't really even know the site yet. We know they'll be building flat screen displays, but we don't know much more than that. Are they going to phones, on TVs, you know? Uh, and we have lawmakers in Wisconsin, the uh, nonpartisan fiscal bureau coming out and saying, if all goes really well and Foxconn does generate 13,000 jobs here, uh, taxpayers won't break even until 2042. Even for, for this $3 billion. <laughs> right. The, the yes. $3 billion. Is that right? That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. So there's been a lot of debate well, in Wisconsin over that's this. That's so ridiculous. It seems to me if I'm a taxpayer in Wisconsin and I'm going to be paying these guys to build this plant, then I want my flat screen for free. Yeah. Why not, right? Right? I mean, why should that's I? Like to... a we- I mean, for a guy that's all about the there's... art of the deal and the art of business and we elected a businessman as president, there have been a couple of really sh- terrible, shaky. Shaky is what you're going shaky to say. Shaky is exactly what I was going to say. Uh, like the carrier deal that was so weird, and like they those people ended up losing their jobs anyway. And then this is just shaky. Well, let's look at the bright side. Uh, the Republicans in Wisconsin are saying these jobs will be good paying jobs. They will revitalize manufacturing in that part of the state if they come. Uh, they'll pay an average of fifty three thousand dollars a year. You know, other other industries could flourish because of this plant. You'll hire local construction workers. You'll hire local truck drivers. The the growth could be amazing. So if it works out, it could be great for the state. Sure. We have no guarantee it'll work out. No. This is, to me, like building taxpayers paying to build a new stadium. It's, the, it's been compared to that, yeah. I, I mean, when the owners run off with all the money, right, and the taxpayers are left holding the bag. Well, they don't get it all at once, but they would get something like $200 a year for 15 years. for 15 years. No, it's insane. And I guess the idea, too, they're able to hold out the threat that we won't come there unless you give us this money, right? Right. uh, Scott Walker has not called their bluff. Yeah, Yeah, they do. Right. Nor has Donald Trump called their bluff. Right. Yeah. The art of the deal. Well, Foxconn. This is as good as it gets. (laughs) It's kind of tricky. Other people think have if a... every company did this, by the way, and think if we gave folded right to every company on, under the same terms, we'd be belly up, yeah. right? We'd be broke. It's a uh, it, it's complicated, you know. Foxconn also four years ago in Pennsylvania did the same thing. They promised to build a factory in the uh-huh. central part of the state. Yeah. And lawmakers there, economists <coughs> there, were celebrating the deal, <coughs> got massive amounts of publicity, and that plant never materialized. So that's why we're going to be watching this really closely. You know, just by the way, the idea that Scott Walker is still governor of Wisconsin. Isn't that remarkable? It is. I'd sort of forgotten about him. He's, he's, he is easy to forget unless yeah. you happen to live in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a fair point. Um, President Scott Walker. Do you remember how quickly that fizzled out? Boy. He was at the first one out, wasn't he? He was the first one, I believe. Yeah. That's pretty great. It was like ages ago. Doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. It was ages <laughs> ago. 
Um, I don't know whether how closely you get into this, but I'm intrigued by, I want to come back to where we started talking about the Dow and the Standard and Poor's. I mean, we all pay so much attention to the Dow, how the Dow is doing every day, right? Right. It a lot. <laughs> doesn't really represent the, the, the breadth or the width of the American economy, does it? No. And one thing that I like to mention is that half of Americans mm-hmm. don't invest. So <laughs> when that goes oh, up, yeah. only half of us benefit. Uh, there's a lot of people who have no mm-hmm. money in the stock market. There's a lot of people who have no money in a 401k. Um, it's important to point that out. And, but I'm not sure I got this right. But I, somewhere in passing, in speeding, I read an article this week or in the last few days that like the Dow only, there are 30 companies on the Dow list. Is that? It's something like that. <laughs> wow, I need to go back and count. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's amazing that we, we give it so much. I don't know how many thousands of American firms there are, you know, mm. but to pick 30 and that they represent how well the entire economy is doing is it's not a, it's not an accurate test the S&P is really the more accurate test i believe from what i i mean i'm, I'm asking you is that correct that that is the standard that's what people look to uh when i at least want you know one thing i've been looking at and this is vaguely related is after donald trump tweets about a company bashing it you know how quickly uh their shares on the S&P fall but it always rebounds quickly. It's really oh, hard to good, use it as a yeah. concrete measure. Can you see any impact at all? Oh, you'll you see an immediate impact almost every time. It looks like this goes straight down. No, but within the morning really? it'll go right back up. You know, <laughs> most of them will, will recover with gains. When he was yelling about Nordstrom on Twitter after the Ivanka uh, Trump collection was dropped from that department store, uh, Nordstrom actually grew in value that day. So it just depends. Right. Okay. So yesterday, I wanted to ask you about this. Anyhow, we had um, these three business leaders mm. all resign from the Manufacturing Council. Uh, Ken Frazier, the head of Merck Pharma, mm. um, the head of uh, Under, uh, Under Armour, and the head of Intel. So, uh, and Donald Trump actually went out against Ken Frazier and Merck. I don't think he's tweeted about the others. No, I haven't um, seen him yet, but I don't have my yet. phone on me right now. Right, okay. <laughs> Could change in any second. <laughs> so is that going to have any impact on those companies at all? When, I'm, when I'm seeing, you know, it's I doubt it. But you were seeing a lot of um, support for the CEO of Merck yesterday on Twitter. You know, yeah. this guy yeah. took a stand for something that we saw as objectively um, positive. He was saying he was against hate groups, you know. Uh, he wanted to see the president's response more more aggressive against stuff like that. Uh, and you, you see a lot of positivity in response to that. But, of course, it's partisan. The people who feel strongly the other way, you know, don't want to see someone leaving the president's manufacturing council. But the fact that the three of them did, and they all have excellent reputations in the business community, not necessarily. They're not, I don't know them as leading Democrats or Republicans, but they're certainly known business leaders. Um, earlier, when the president pulled out of the Paris Accords, mm. Bob Iger from Disney and uh, Elon Musk from Tesla both resigned from the Business Council right. uh, in protest over pulling out of the Paris Accords. Um, which is so. There's a headline from CNN this morning, which I have on my phone, um, which is pertinent to this. It, it says CNN: 
The election of a businessman as president fueled optimism among CEOs. Now some of those business leaders are turning on Trump. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you, you know, what's your sense in the business community of um, their reaction to watching the Trump presidency so far? Uh, you know, it's split depending on where they stand politically. You have Elon Musk pulling out after the Paris Accord because he's all about clean energy, energy of the future. That is his brand, and he has to do what he can to protect his brand. Someone yeah, like Musk yeah. who sticks around after, you know, we're, we we pull out of what was supposed to be this agreement to preserve the planet. That would have looked worse <laughs> for him. Whether taking social stands will ultimately help or harm the brand is so hard to say. It's very mushy, and things change every day. But I would expect to continue seeing that. But isn't there also, um, uh, I don't know, I'm not part of this world, but I would imagine when Donald Trump walks into a room of other CEOs, they don't consider him one of them, do they? Well, I'm not a CEO either. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but you're, that's your beat. You talk to them. I mean, he is a different kind of cat, right, than yeah. these business leaders on the on the. On, on any business council. Well, Donald Trump loves. I would consider him uh, in the in the realm of business. Before he ran, he was more of a of a television show personality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he he obviously built and ran a successful <coughs> real estate business. You know, uh, but he he was not keeping behind the scenes in the ways that uh, other business leaders do. Usually, when you see someone like you, like Musk come out with a comment, it is related to. Um, one of his platforms, like like the energy of the future or yeah, just yeah. advancing mankind. He's not talking about himself or the women he's dated necessarily. But Donald Trump was more about sh um, being a little more showboaty with his personal life, and he's been proud of that. He, you know, he often will call reporters. <laughs> Do you remember when... But also, he's a failed business leader. I mean, what is it, five bankruptcies? And the casinos yeah. have gone bust, right? And uh, the where his successes are, just these buildings he's convinced other people, you build it and you can put my name on top of it, right? So from from the physical presence of those businesses or those those uh, buildings, you do you have a lot of people in the country when I go out reporting think yeah. I can trust Donald Trump with my economic financial future because look at what he's physically literally built. But yes, you're right to, to note that his uh, business track record is more complicated and yes, it's been dotted with bankruptcy. Do you remember do you remember when Trump this was in like February uh, when he had all these CEOs and business leaders for the White House and he had Jeff Immelt from GE and he made him tell the story about the time Trump hit the hole in one. Like they're all sitting around talking about business and like the economy and jobs and Trump's like, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, tell them about the time I hit the hole in one. Oh, yeah. And he, he's, you know, uh, okay, Mr. <laughs> President, uh, or is it, go on, go on, go on, come on, come on, tell the whole story. So like, he wants to be in that world, but they clearly, like, to, to your point, like they clearly, I think, are put off by him. They have different social styles. I will say that I have observed that. <laughs> That's so diplomatically said. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they don't consider him. He's, he's not one of them. Yeah. All right, so um, Danielle, Danielle Paquette's here from the Washington Post, the great Washington Post, um, by the way. Thank owned, you. Owned by one of the... <laughs> really most successful and impressive business leaders in the world, Jeff Bezos, um, who has done a great job with the Post, by the way. There are a lot of skeptics. I, I was one of, them, uh, one of them <laughs> saying, oh, my, what's this going to mean? But he's just let the Post 
just grow, grow, grow Please in grow. many, many ways and, and is doing doing great work. Um, but I, I just wanted you to know that, um, so I went over, uh, you saw me with my yogurt this morning, my daily uh, Chobani. So I went out. Um, <laughs> not an advertisement. <laughs> not, at not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I just went out because I was running a little low and I picked up a six pack of Chobani yesterday. And it was really so easy because I was at the market and uh, I didn't have to uh, get any money out of my wallet at all. All I just did is I just raised my arm. And, and <laughs> no, my, you didn't. And there was my chip. <laughs> And I had my microchip and paid, walked out. It was so easy. I didn't know the microchips have landed in D.C. I'm so glad I got that microchip. No, I don't have one, but you've been writing about them, and we've been talking about them. Mm-hmm. This is, again, a Wisconsin story, right? Oh, yeah. This is yeah. Wisconsin morning, isn't it? I know. Yeah. Right. So what's what's the reaction to these chips? The name of the company? Um, mm, three Square Market. Yes, Three Square Market. They right. make vending machine software. Okay. Yeah, I actually. Now how did they end up week. being the company that that started this? Pretty randomly. So they're trying to expand their European market. One of the, a few of the executives took a trip to Stockholm, Sweden, where they just happened to meet uh, an entrepreneur who specializes in microchips. Which, by the way, in Sweden, microchips are are much more um, popular, accepted. Mm. Uh, yeah, you yeah. can put one in your hand and board a train with one. You yeah, know, it, yeah. it's just not as weird there <laughs> as it is here. Uh, and so this company thought, well, why not? It can make a big splash for us. But we also, oh, bless you, excuse you. We also want to get ahead on the technology. They are making this bet. They think that in about 10 years, everyone will have microchips in some capacity. So when you can board the train with it, that means are you paying that way or you're, this is your ID? It's your ticket. As far as I've read in my yeah. research on microchips. But, yeah, you, it's just like instead and, of pulling up that screen on your phone, you can just okay. wave your hand. And employees had a choice, right, mm-hmm. to, yes. to get one or not. Yeah. And, and they how were, many did? Oh, gosh, about 50 of 80. It's a small wow. company. They were enthusiastic. Yeah. You know, I, I was there. They were wearing shirts that say, I got chipped. Uh, the the CEO of the company had one in both hands, and he, he joked that one was from for Visa and one was from MasterCard. Oh, well, so wait, they put it in your hand. Yes. How? So when I was there, I saw a tattoo artist slash body piercer inject someone's hand with a big needle. Uh, And you take that syringe, it's like one second. People claim there wasn't that much pain. There's a a nurse on site to make sure no one got hurt. Um, Is it like in the palm of your hand? It's right between the index finger and the thumb. Right here. The fleshy part. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it goes pretty deep. But they told me that if I wanted to do it that day, I could just pop it out like a splinter. <laughs> did you do it? You didn't do it. Did I did you? not do it. Why I didn't, didn't do it. you do it? Uh, I, you know, I'm there to observe, not participate. Yeah, you don't want to make yourself the story. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're saying you can take them out after yeah. the fact? No. You can, you can. You can pop them out like a splinter. No. Oh. There's no yeah, like way. That. No, no, no. Like it's right a, away, yeah. maybe, but not well, afterwards. Oh, no. Anytime. It's the size. No. It's kind of sharp. It's the size of a, a grain of rice. If you one day wake up and think, this is weird. I, I'm that. over this. No, it is weird. Out. Guys, it is, <laughs> no, it is the no, weirdest no, no, thing no. ever. No, we cannot act like this is totally okay. This is bizarre and weird behavior and 50 <laughs> out of 80 people but how do you, did it how they're do you, insane how do you these people it? are insane how do you program it so that is a great question they're all engineers most yeah. of the people i talked to got this you you somehow this <laughs> grain of rice is synced up with an app you can write code yeah. to make it do things uh one engineer i talked to got a chip <laughs> in his hand 
his dream is to start his car with it. So he wanted to build a program. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. That's a great dream. <laughs> start car. Sorry, I'm Insane. being very cynical about the whole thing, but like, ah. Uh. I mean, imagine never worrying about keys again, you know? That was yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. It's not like an issue for me. I'm not, I, like, uh I love it. No, you don't. You're not going to get a microchip. I love it. I love it. No, you're not going to get a microchip. What are you talking I about? You're going to get a microchip I in might. your hand. I might. It depends. Yeah, you know, I, I, how you can program it. Look no. Back. You know what? No. <laughs> I've got the, you know, the. we just got a new car. Mm-hmm. It's got, got a new Subaru. Mm-hmm. I love the fact I can start my car from my house. Wow. I don't have to be in the car. Just push the little button. See, that's quite powerful to the chip. That's really cool. That's a quantum leap from having something implanted inside your body so people know where you are and what you're doing at all times. <laughs> they I claim think that, you I can't think track that's pretty it. Cool they claim you can't track it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's totally on the I'm up and sure up. a hacker will find a way in the future. Of but course. That's my point. <laughs> I will give you this, Bill. You are completely unpredictable when it comes to whether or not you buy into these <laughs> yeah, new trends. That, that's true. I would have never <laughs> guessed that you'd be into this. Fan of drones and microchips. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan of any of the new products yeah. at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, right. I have an iPhone, damn it. Yeah, hates fidget spinners, but get a microchipped up. <laughs> One is a little less invasive. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Do you uh, have any tattoos? No. Okay. See, I don't. I'm not a permanent. I can't see kind any, but person. I didn't know whether you might have yeah. some. I can't see. I don't, I don't want to do something that I might want to change my mind. So I'm just going to ask later. you if it hurts more than a tattoo, but you can't answer that either. I, I'm sure it hurts less. It takes. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But you also have you know, a mine, giant needle plunged. Mine into really your hurt. Your tattoos? Yeah. <laughs> can't see mine either. Lower back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's looking at that right. Jerry Brown campaign sticker right above his ass. Oh, it's burning. You're burning. You feel, can feel the burn. Feel the burn. Wow, it's a recent tattoo. Yeah. All right. Oh my God. I'll hey, play it. Yeah, you never know where we're going to go. When you get that. <laughs> no, you. certainly don't. Thank you so much. Great to see you. All right. At the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Republicans regretting their choices on climate change. Amy Hart is going to tell us all about it. From Axios, axios axios.com, coming up next. As I said on Saturday, on many sides. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go now on a Tuesday. Tuesday, August 15, uh, the Bill Press Show rolling right along here from our studio on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much for joining Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., of course, our nation's capital. Thank you for joining us today on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and also out in the greater Chicago area on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, WCPT, where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their colorful international president, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Um, we salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Direct you to the website to find out more about their good work at USW dot 
org. Joining us in studio from Axios, the great Axios.com. Check it out. Sign up if you haven't already done so uh, for their various newsletters, starting with Mike Allen's newsletter in the morning, Jonathan Swan on a Sunday evening, and Amy Harder on energy and environment. Hello, Amy. Nice to see you. Good to be here as well. Thank you for coming in. One thing before we get to what we wanted to talk to you about, I just uh, want to repeat that the there has been an impact of the um, president's response or lack of response, some might say, uh, lack of appropriate response to uh, what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend. Gallup out with their latest p- poll numbers on approve and disapprove of the job the president is doing. Uh, Donald Trump's approval rating has, uh, has now sunk to the lowest yet. It's now 34%. And his disapproval rating up to 61%. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Amy. So looking at previous presidents, going back to Jimmy Carter, how long it took them to get to 61% disapprove of the job you're doing? Jimmy Carter never got there. Never. And as Peter pointed out, we think of him as one of the weakest of our previous, of sure, the most yeah. recent presidents. Reagan never got there. H.W. Bush never got there. Bill Clinton never got there. Barack Obama never got to a 61% disapproval. It took George W. Bush 1,932 days. Donald Trump, 207 days. So he's number one in in one (laughs) respect uh, at any rate. And if you think uh, those of you who are watching on Free Speech TV and watching on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show that Amy Harder looks so rested and relaxed and fit this morning is because she told us she is just back from Iceland. And I am envious. I really want to go. Is this a good time to go? This is a perfect time to go. The weather was magnificent, so much better than the gross humidity we have here in D.C. The highs were in the 50s. The lows were in the 40s. We didn't get much rain at all, uh, which was great because Iceland is known to rain a lot, and it was beautiful. Um, I wish I didn't have to come back, but vacations have to end sometime. Well, I'm glad to hear this is the time because our colleague, Ray Rogers. Yeah. She went to Iceland like last November, remember? Yeah. yeah. We kept saying, why are you going now? Well, that's when uh, the the chances are good that you can see the Northern Lights, which is yeah. another oh, big yeah. reason to go to Iceland. But if it's cloudy, which it often is in Iceland, then you don't see the Northern Lights. So, And I went to go trail running around the country, and it's hard to do that when it's dark 20 hours out of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> So I opted for the summertime. Perilous. That's cool. But I saw a chart yesterday that the IMF um, posted that showed tourism <laughs> revenue from Iceland has just skyrocketed yeah. over the last few years compared to other northern yeah. countries. And that's because they've been so aggressive pitching their country and having it as a long layover. And I highly recommend it if, if, if you like, you know, chillier weather and, and black sand beaches as opposed to the tropical kinds. But well, if you're not in the water. Right. Correct. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. But people do go s- snorkeling, I heard. Mm-hmm. I did not do that. But uh, Reykjavik? Is, it's just, Reykjavik, yeah. Reykjavik. Yeah. It's just, there's just one city, isn't there? That's the main city, yeah. There's only 350,000 people in the whole country. There's actually an app to make sure that the when The whole you, country. The whole country. So there's an app. I don't know the name of it, but there's an app where when you start dating somebody, you check it to make sure that you're not related. 
Wow, yeah. that's kind of funny. Yeah. And also a little terrifying. Yeah. Maybe they ought to have that app in Alabama. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> right, Peter? Uh, that is correct. Are you from Alabama? I have family from Alabama. Yeah. I'm from South Carolina where we don't have that problem. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you have been writing, even while you're running trails in uh, uh, Iceland, I guess, but maybe before you left. <laughs> Um, some maybe second thoughts on the part of a, a Republican Party members about or Republican Party leaders about uh, pulling out of Paris and about uh, they're not being more supportive of uh, effort to deal with climate change. Well, my latest column this week is looking at um, what Republicans are getting wrong about climate change mm-hmm. and kind of where they fall, <laughs> where the Republican Party and by Republican Party, I mean elected um members of Congress and the Trump administration, because there's actually a lot of Republicans around the country that are more supportive of actions to address climate change. So I'm talking mainly here in Washington. There is that, this, this is a very good point. There is that big divide, right? The Republican Party overall is not necessarily... They're not quite as um, outspokenly questioning the science. So, no, so what right. my column looked at is that there's basically three categories of Republicans. Um, there's the true skeptics, the people who really question the science, for, and that can be for a multitude of reasons. One, maybe because they just they have a hard time thinking that human activity can can have such a big impact on a planet. Um, and then also because or they work for oil companies, right? And I think that's. Um, Another aspect of that, and, and that includes people like the EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt. And the huh. things that he says, you know, you noticed in over the last several months, he says things like, well, it's very difficult to measure with precision, precision the impact that humans have on the climate. And even if it does, what should we do about it? So he, he says things that don't really actually mean anything. He answers questions with more questions. He says things like it's hard to measure with precision. Well, yes, of course it's hard. Everything is hard. Being a doctor is hard. Determining if somebody has cancer can be a difficult process. It doesn't mean it's impossible or that it shouldn't be um tried and so that's so yes it's going to be it's and I you know and I get to this later in my column I think there does need to be a little more humility on the side of people who are acting on climate change to admit that yes there is uncertainty in the science there's lots of uncertainty in the science there's not uncertainty in the part where human activity is the biggest driver over the last century and I think that's important to say that uh, so the true skeptics is the the first category there's actually not that many Republicans that fall into this category mm-hmm. I would have said more did three or four years ago the, so Jim Inhofe and Scott Pruitt yeah and then I would put Steve Bannon in that category yeah. um, and you know he doesn't like climate change for a whole host of reasons because it implies big policy changes that therefore requires big government, and we, we know that he doesn't support things like that. The middle category is where most of the Republican Party is, and that's the passive watchers. Mm. They're the ones that generally, the, the passive watchers, uh-huh. um, and these are my own official terms. Yeah. So. I like it. <laughs> P with a capital P and capital W. So <laughs> the passive watchers, they acknowledge the science. They say They privately say, yes, there's a problem. But my constituents care about a lot of other things, and I'm getting money from fossil fuel companies, and um, I don't really like any of the policies that have been being proposed, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. 
And it's true that most people don't put climate change high on their agenda, especially even more Republican voters. So the Republican, so most of the Republican Party is just staying quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the last category is um, the quiet backers. And these are Republicans that do publicly say that climate change is an issue. It's real. We should do something about it. But they're not actually putting forth substantive policies. They're not engaging with Democrats Was on he, is this solutions. The John McCain, the John McCain's of the of the world. The House has a bipartisan climate caucus that's actually grown. Um, I think there's some um, almost thirty Republican members, and almost all except six have joined this year, which is significant. I yeah, think, yeah. given Trump is in office, who who doesn't think climate change is a problem. I do think it's significant. Um, but there's there's no real dialogue happening with um, other Democrats about how, uh, how to do something because climate change will require a big solution. It doesn't necessarily need to be as draconian as, as some people have painted it. But again, it goes back to constituents don't care as much about this as they do all of the other things that are going on in this town right now. I did another recent piece about how all the chaos is masking this, all the huge changes happening in energy and environment. You have the Charlottesville tragedy. You have the North Korea threats. I mean, you have all these things. Voters are focused on other things. That's not to say there isn't a, I mean, a strong contingency of people who care about this issue. They do exist, but it's not the majority of people. And that's why Republicans can afford to not be talking about this issue. So where does um, pulling out of Paris fit into all of this? Well, so pulling out of Paris sort of it, it sort of worked two ways, right? Because you had it's such a symbolic deal. It actually it didn't technically require anything of companies of countries, excuse me, other than of reporting their emissions and just being transparent with what they were doing. Um, so on the one hand, it was symbolic. It didn't do anything. But that argument, it cut both ways. On the one hand, you have people saying, well, if it's so symbolic, why do we even need to stay in it? And, but then there's the other people saying, well, if it's just symbolic, why can't we stay in it? Um, and so I think you have on Paris, you see most Republicans not sticking their necks out on it because it's symbolic. I don't think um, because I think a more um, a better barometer to test this debate is wonkier or not as 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 all encompassing as the Paris deal and is instead what the EPA does after it replaces President Obama's clean power plan, which was the, um, Obama's mm. signature climate mm. regulation, um, EPA Administrator Pruitt has said he's going to get rid of that regulation. There's a debate happening in the administration right now about whether and to what extent to replace it with something. It'll be interesting to see where Republicans and industry come down on that. I've talked to industry um, officials at fossil fuel companies and, and other places who say they want some sort of carbon regulation because they don't think um, they think carbon regu- carbon emissions are a problem. And if they don't regulate it now, it'll come back later under a Democratic president where it'll be a more extreme regulation. So I think that will be a more interesting sort of barometer to see where Republicans come out on this. Isn't the, the maybe the the side of Paris that it is not that binding, right, and takes so long, is that unless Donald Trump is reelected, there could be no real impact of his pulling out of Paris, right? It would not have kicked in by the time he leaves office. 
Correct. And I think it's actually the day after the November, after the election in 2020 is when the official day comes that right. that Trump can officially withdraw. So let's say he doesn't win. He'll probably withdraw. Anyhow. Um, anyhow. Uh, yeah. And then um, I think a president can more quickly join the agreement right. as opposed to so withdrawing. So a, a next president, assuming and, it's a Democrat who supports it, could easily say, no, we're back in. Or they could say even before as president-elect, no, 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 we're coming back in. Don't pay any attention to what Trump just did. Right. Now, if he wins, um, yeah. he could, I mean, one could always envision um, him changing his mind. I mean, I know it seems... <laughs> Not uh, on this issue. seems far, uh, far-fetched, but I don't know. I My motto for this year is to, to make no assumptions. Mm-hmm. I mean... Almost every major environmental and climate, not climate because the U.S. has never had a climate bill, but every energy and environment bill or regulation that has ever passed has been under Republican presidents. So and that's in part because Republicans sort of moderate the Democrats. When Democrats are left to their own devices, they tend to go too far to the left and they don't pass anything. We saw that in 2010. Um, with the cap and trade bill in Congress. So that's why you see this moderating influences. So never say never, but it certainly um, isn't like that. But it's an important point. I didn't realize all of them, but certainly the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, the EPA, that's all Richard Nixon. Right. Yeah. I mean, I a column I did. All Republicans. Right. A column I did a few weeks ago, um, I tracked down, I tried to t- get in touch with every single living former EPA administrator. I reached out to seven. I talked to five. Um, and, you know, they, they talked about how the Republican Party and, you know, the EPA was created in 1970. Up until about the 1990s, the Republicans really were um, conservationists and, and, and supporters of environmental protection. Um, I would say starting with Reagan, um, that started to turn. And then in the 90s with Newt Gingrich in the House, it started to turn really anti-regulatory. And that's where a lot of this... A lot of the opposition to climate regu- um, to climate change comes from Republicans. The the questioning the science is mostly an avenue to oppose regulations. It's it's, it's not really about the science. It's about what the science entails, which is potentially regulations. I think if Hillary Clinton had won, we would be having a very different conversation. I know so many things in this town would be different if Clinton had won. I would like to think that on the issues I cover. It would just be it's like day and night. I think if Clinton had won, EPA would be going full steam ahead with a whole suite of regulations. And that would have that would have changed the dynamics in the Republican Party. Maybe they would have um, started thinking about swapping um, all these regulations for something like a carbon tax. Um, It seems far fetched now. But again, I think things would look differently if Clinton had won. But just a footnote, too, because I got my start really in, in politics and environmental politics in California. Uh, and the entire, we didn't call it the environmental movement then, right? But conservation was totally Republican issue. You know, the leaders of the Republican Party in California, uh, up until Ronald Reagan, you know, but uh, even even as governor, his resources secretary, Ike Livermore, the Livermore family in Marin County, the man I worked for as a state senator, Peter Bear, the leaders of Save the Bay, um, uh, the, the, the save the coastline, save Lake Tahoe. All of those, I knew them all. Were all all mm-hmm. Republicans. And on the national level, you know, Russell Peterson, former governor of Delaware, became head of the Audubon Society. Bill O'Reilly was 
think um, HWs. HWs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. EPA director, and uh, they they were all. And, and H.W. himself, right? Mm-hmm, right. And Christine Todd Whitman. Christine Todd Whitman. Yeah, you could go down the list. The thing but, that makes Scott Pruitt unique is that unlike, you know, because George W. Bush was not that much of an environmental president. No. But Christine Todd Whitman was as an EPA administrator. What makes Scott Pruitt is a very different EPA administrator in a lot of ways. And one one way he is, is he's actually very much in line with the Republican Party today on environmental issues. The difference is, is that he was appointed to be EPA administrator, whereas most Republican presidents in the past have picked somebody that was more to the left of the Republican Party and who had some sort of background in protecting environmental issues. Pruitt has no background in that. No, he's got just the opposite background. Right. And so I think that's... But, and hasn't he really been uh, uh, unleashed more than almost any other cabinet secretary to carry out his agenda in, in EPA? And he is doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, he is doing it. I would argue that the same thing happened under EPA, under Obama with EPA as well on the on the on the, on the other side. I mean, wa- Washington is often described as just one big political pendulum and swinging back and forth. And I talked with Bill Ruckelshaus, who's the first ever EPA yes, administrator, right. turned 85 last month. Um, he was Richard Nixon's first EPA administrator. And then he also came back after um, Ann Gorsuch Buford, who was a controversial mm-hmm. EPA administrator under Reagan, after she was pushed Whose down. son is now in the Supreme Court, right. I just want to point out. Well, that, should yes. be, yes. that should be noted. You know, it's but Ruckelshaus a small is a giant in terms of he is, and he, yeah. and he, you know, he's flabbergasted at what at what Pruitt is doing at the EPA. I think, um, you know, there's lots of things that have led to Pruitt becoming the leader of the EPA. One of them is that, so Republicans have long been champions of the environment, well, you know, up until the 90s, essentially. But they've, the party as a whole has never really embraced climate change as a problem. We've talked about John, you know, John McCain in 2008 supported mm-hmm. a climate plan. But even at the time, it wasn't something that most Republicans supported. So so Republicans have never really supported action on climate change. And I think there's somewhat of a misconception that because the GOP nominee well, in 2008 yeah. did, the whole party, whole party did. Right. That's not really accurate. And so I think, you know... I do think this is a time of reckoning for the climate debate. If if Trump can get reelected or if there's not down ballot issues in 2018 based upon climate change, if there's somebody who's in the White House who doesn't acknowledge climate change and it's not a political issue, I don't see climate change ever becoming an issue voters for vote Republicans. On. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, Republicans won't care as much about it if their constituents don't. Well, I don't see how you could draw any other conclusion. <clears throat> I mean, when you look at what happened to Donald Trump, I mean, there's a clear difference between... Right, although with that, see, climate change wasn't... In, Bernie like, and Hillary, and I mean Bernie, Hillary, and Donald Trump on that issue, and look where he is. Right, although in that case, you know, I think the voters who voted for Trump weren't voting for him because he didn't acknowledge climate change. I think it was just sort of... You know, you buy a basket of fruit because you want the apples and you just you got the melon as well. But you didn't want the basket because of the melons. What I think is happening now is, you know, climate change has been a bigger issue than it has been in the past. Again, everything is rising, though, in its intensity. But I think if if he can run the the country and get reelected while, you know, not acknowledging climate change, then I think that's a big that's just a big hurdle for 
action on climate change. It shows that people don't care enough to, to really vote on it. When it. And, you know, that's always been the problem with climate change. There's a whole body of psychological work about climate change. It's such a slow-moving problem that it can never fit into a political cycle. One of the things that we saw with President Obama's investments in clean energy is that uh, overall, with jobs coming back, the economy recovering, one of the big growth areas was renewable energy, solar, wind, the whole thing. Um, what happens to that now in the Trump administration? Do those investments continue? Or are they, uh, you know, or just you know, shut down? I think they're going to continue in part because um, in 2015. That's where the jobs are, right? In the energy area today? Right. I mean, I think they're there and in the natural gas and oil space primarily. Coal continues to go down yeah. overall, despite there has been an increase in coal exports, um, not due to anything Trump is doing. But of course, Trump is trying to take credit for it, which is what all politicians sure. do. Let's be honest. Obama did that as well. Um, but 2015, Congress passed a budget bill that extended for five years tax credits for wind and solar. And that was really the linchpin to ensure that wind and solar can continue growing as as they have been in previous mm-hmm. years. So it doesn't seem likely that Trump will try to undo those early. If he does, um, or if Congress does as part of tax reform, if that'll ever happen, um, okay. that would be a, 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 a big blow to wind and solar. I don't anticipate that happening. Um, so I think wind and solar have said um, the industries and the industry executives have said that they're not trying to get those tax credits extended anymore after this time frame. And they say after that that they can compete. They will be, yeah. And they, and they are in a lot of places. They will be the competitive country. then at that point. Right. Yeah. And so because yeah. they're on, because they're standing up on their own two feet now, um, I think they'll be fine. It's, it's other renewable technologies that might be in trouble. Well, welcome back. Welcome home. And thanks for coming in today. Yeah, Good stuff. Great on. reporting. Axios.com. This is the Bill See you tomorrow. Show.